Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only Alienware.com slash deals. That's Alienware.com slash deals. So today's episode, today's classic is, um, it's a big question. And it's one that I think has just become more personal for people over the course of, of these past couple of years. Everyone listening to the show today has lost someone. Statistically speaking, you, you probably lost someone for some reason. And cue the mountain goats. We're going to make it through this year. But it's time for us to consider, again, one of the biggest questions in human existence. What happens at the end of the show? Well, we usually read the credits um, and give out some social media stuff. Um, but uh, this is the big show, folks. The ultimate show. The ultimate showdown. What happens when you die? Yes. And we're going to get into discussion of... This like how this question affects all of society, right? How the answer to this question for a particular civilization or group, it just changes everything, affects everything, how people live and what they do while they're here on this planet. So let's jump into it. Let's let's see what we find out. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. No, not exactly a man of the people. Also known as Vigo the Cruel, Vigo the Torturer, Vigo the Despised, and Vigo the Unholy. Wasn't he also Vigo the Butch? And dig this, there was a prophecy. Just before his head died, his last words were, Death is but a door. 
Time is but a window. I'll be back. Wow, Vigo was really stepping on Schwarzenegger's toes, or I guess inversely, mm -hmm. somehow with that last line there. Uh, by the way, my name's Matt. Yes, I'm Ben, and as always, we are joined by our super producer, Noel Nashville Brown. We open today with a quotation from Ghostbusters 2, the famous dying words of Vigo the Carpathian. And the portrait. And the portrait, yes, which I love that film. Oh, yeah. uh, now, typically... Long-time listeners, uh, most importantly, you're here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. But typically, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that Noel's nickname is often a hint to or an allusion to the kind of stuff we'll be covering in an episode. But today's a little different, isn't that right, Matt? Yeah, it's a little different. Uh, you know, Nashville is not really a part of the material here, but it is part of something very special going on in Noel's world right now. Right. The good Mr. Brown is on an adventure. Uh, as we record this, you're going to be heading out uh, Nashville way to play some to play a show. Isn't that right? You guys always make me feel so special. <laughs> oh, that's true. It's because you are, buddy. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the little bands I play in, we're going to Nashville to play a couple of shows on Friday. Mm -hmm. So, if I was going to look for this band or show, what would I search? Uh, the band is called Blue Blood. We have a record out on a label called This Is American Music, and um, we're playing at a place called The Basement on Friday, which is the... Uh, 21st. Yes, and uh, this episode comes out on the 21st. So if you are hearing this and you are in that Nashville area, get thee to the basement. Uh, check out our buddy Nashville Brown as he blows up the scene. I have a personal relationship with this place. I happen to have been born in Nashville. So Wow, have you been to the basement? Uh, I Did you go when you were a, a wee tyke? <laughs> I have not. Actually, uh, I was, I'll date myself here a little bit. Uh, the first live performance I did in front of strangers was actually the Grand Old Opry. I was one of their uh, kid actors for a while. Holy crap. Yeah, I remember all my lines too, Matt. You know why? Why? Because they were all, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Except it was more like, oh, yep. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I always kind of had a freakish voice. But, uh, but yeah, so do check out do check out that show if you're in the area. Uh, Noel's got this Clark Kent Superman thing going on. He's the one of the hardest working men in the How Stuff Works showbiz. That's right. And if you have not seen him play bass in person, it's something that you really should do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, also do all the sound cues. We could do an episode just about Noel, which would probably make you kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> so we'll, You uh, will edit this stuff about you. <laughs> yeah, so we'll... Uh, we'll Hold that uh, for now, but no promises about never doing it. Uh, one other thing, one other piece of business before we begin. Uh, you guys know that this is a listener-driven show. All our best ideas come from you. Um, Matt and Noel and I are incredibly fortunate to be able to do this and, and still somehow not be fired, which we joke about a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous. We, maybe we just shouldn't joke about it anymore, Ben. Let's just pretend like we're always going to be here. Oh, yeah. I do feel like we're whistling through the graveyard. But, uh, the truth of the matter is that, you know, sometimes it can be tough. And this show is, Far from perfect. It's always been a work in progress, and some of the best feedback we get uh, concerns like ways to improve the show or things mm -hmm. that we missed, and we always we're always grateful for corrections. Uh, but 
the this this cool thing happened last night. I was out grabbing dinner with my girlfriend. It was kind of late, and there was this other couple that was in the area, and I I kept thinking, is that person like slipping me the side eye? Did I do something to? offend them, you know? Uh-oh. Yeah, surprise. I'm a little bit paranoid in social no. situations. Uh, anyway, uh, guy's leaving now, and then he stops and he asks me, he says, oh, sir, I'm sorry to bother you. Is your name Matt? And then I thought, okay, well. That's not what he said. I'm in the clear. That's what he said, Matt. And then I said, no, my name's Ben. And then it turns out this guy, his name is Tanner Crowley, is a big fan of our show and just happened to, happened to see us and, you know, he... Super respectful. He's like, I don't want to interrupt you while you're eating. And like, I saw you guys are on the way out too. And, uh, Tanner, I just want you to know that made my day. Thank you so much for, uh, making me look like a, uh, a cool guy in front of my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always into stuff like that. Uh, so I just wanted to say thank you. And I don't know about you, Matt, or you, Noel, but if you're like, we're regular guys. If you're ever out and about and you, you see us and you want to say hi, we're, not going to be jerks about it because uh, we're we're again super appreciative of your time. Every time you check out this show, uh, you are, I guess, doing your part to keep this crazy contraption going, and it can't happen without you. Absolutely, thank you so much. And you know, if you ever recognize me, you're going to get like triple points because nobody knows what I look like. <laughs> what? <laughs> Too bad. Sorry, I can just slip under the radar, Ben. I doubt that. Apparently, most people think I'm you, which I'm fine with. <laughs> I noticed that people will, yeah, say Matt in comments on YouTube when they're clearly speaking about you. Uh, we need to change it up. We need to just separate that's Matt behind the camera <laughs> and I am Ben. <laughs> oh, no, man. No, no. This show, I mean, clearly, uh, Clearly, you are on episodes. I'm trying to bully you into getting onto some more. Uh, so, listeners, if you'd like to see and hear more of of our uh, better half here, Matt Frederick, then go ahead and you're shaking your head no. But don't I'll, you do it? I'll say it. Go ahead, tweet us or Facebook us. We're conspiracy stuff. Write to us directly. Write to our bosses and say no, Lee, more, Matt. <laughs> stop. Do not do any of those things. Don't listen to him. It's too late. It's recorded. Noel, don't edit that part out. All right. So, <laughs> so with all that said, <laughs> with all that said, uh, let's switch gears. What, what's this episode actually about? This show, this is our second foray into the great beyond, Ben, mm. into the big sleep, the huge finito, the great arbiter, death. Right. Death. One of the great equalizers, one of the things that no matter who you are, no matter how much money you make, how much money you don't make, uh, how happy or sad you are, one day, at presently, one day, all of us will die. And, and subjectively how good or evil you are. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a scary thought. No bonus points. Yeah, you literally cannot be too good to die or too evil to die. It happens to everyone. It's one of the most mysterious, enigmatic things in the human experience. Right up there with, uh, where were you if you were somewhere before you were born? I think there's a Voltaire Ooh, yeah, quote. Yeah, both of those. I'm butchering there. Uh, so earlier we covered this, something like this in our episode called The Future of Death, but that focused on something a little different, right? Yeah, we were looking at Immortality. If if one person could achieve that, or perhaps if humanity could achieve that at some point, mm-hmm. uh, we looked at uh, I think a a jellyfish. Uh, we looked at Henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. I would urge anyone to go back and listen to that episode. It has one of my favorite uh, 
this is weird, but it's one of my favorite sponsored episodes by our, you know, our big guys. Oh, up there. by uh, Illumination Global. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, I it stood, it stood out for me. <laughs> right, right. That that was uh, that that was a standout episode. Uh, you can also check out the video stuff there. We talk about different types of potential immortality as well as different types of immortality that exist today although not for humans yes. or other animals. Uh, so what we're going to do in this episode is explore the nature of death. So let's say, surprise, surprise, womp, 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 immortality doesn't work out. For Naysayer. One, yeah, for one reason or another, it turns out that the technology is just not there or the, the bio uh, bioengineering necessary is not there or maybe the human brain just can't cope with physical immortality. So this person, mm-hmm. um, let's say, let's pick somebody for an example. Um, this person dies. I, I die. What happens when you die? What is death anyway? Well, Ben, when you die, and I'm sorry to say that you have. And I had a good run. Uh, that is true. Very true. Uh, Tanner is going to mourn you, uh, as well as myself and Nolan, hopefully everybody else listening. When you die, at least on a physical level, it is, it's when your brain stops sending electrical signals to the rest of your body and to itself, mm-hmm. and when your circulatory system ceases to flow. So when blood stops going through your body. Stops delivering oxygen to the cells. And when there's no oxygen in cells and there's no uh, electrical activity occurring in the brain, that's it. All those uh, chemical processes that make us something more than a pile of meat, water, mm-hmm. and rank bacteria. Uh, and speaking of ranking, death is death is ranked and defined in several different ways, right? Clinical death occurs when a person's heartbeat, their circulatory system uh, stops, and their breathing stops, their respiratory system. Then, a couple minutes later, four to six minutes later, biological death occurs. Mm-hmm. Now, this is when the brain cells start to die because they're they're not getting any oxygen anymore. And that's when you can't be brought back at least... It's thought that you can't be brought back after that point. Right. The vast majority of times, uh, that is game over. Yeah. Right. Uh, so we have, we being a human species, not just the three of us here and everybody listening, uh, but the human species overall has quarreled with the definition of death for a long, long time. In the very first edition of Encyclopedia Britannica, uh, death was called the separation of the soul and the body. And meanwhile, uh, if anybody would like to read more of the stuff that we're talking about, a lot of this comes from some fantastic articles on HowStuffWorks.com, a couple of which were written by our buddy Josh Clark over at Stuff You Should Know. And I think he wrote, I think he wrote some of this on how dying works. But this, this definition of the separation from the soul and of the soul from the body, it kind of, it, it gives us a snapshot about how closely humanity's views of death are tied up with uh, historic religious views, right? Oh, sure. We talked a bit in that other episode about how religion is very closely linked to death because it is one of the ways we've kind of hacked the idea of death, of creating these belief structures that say, well, maybe that's not death. Maybe death isn't the last thing. 
Right. Maybe it is but a doorway. <laughs> but, but yeah, then, uh, you know, as time has progressed and there's so many different religious beliefs now and lack of belief in other places mm-hmm. that it's getting closer and closer tied to uh, science. Sure. Yeah. Uh, just uh, let's say 15 or so editions later of the Encyclopedia Britannica, this very short entry on death became 30 times longer. And it became longer because we were understanding more about the human body. But that's not to say that death is necessarily perfectly defined yet, mm-hmm. um, or that it's even easier to define. I- instead, medical advances, the technology that we've been developing, they've made it actually tougher to determine that point, that finite point where death is just Absolute. Right, where it actually occurs. And, you know, identifying death without medical technology at its current state was a a very difficult thing. And, you know, uh, it's quite possible that 150 or 200 years from now, as long as the great streak of the human race continues, uh, that the technology we have today will look barbaric in comparison. Oh, man, we're going to – what if we look back and we realize all of these people that, quote, died – None of them actually did. Oh, man. We could have brought them back like three years later, man. Oh, man. Well, okay, let's let's do that hypothetical death thing. All right, so let's imagine that the the Frederick clan is several hundred years in the past. And, Matt, you have gathered with the rest of your large family, because there are a lot of you here, at home with the matriarch, your mother. And she appears to have died. Kind of like a wake? Kind of like, kind of like a, like a deathbed wake send off. Um, you think she's dead, but you need an expert. Okay. So you don't call a doctor. You call the local priest. Sure. Because he being the closest one, the closest connection to God, mm-hmm. right, is going to have that closest link to whether or not her soul is still there. Yeah, and uh, this priest or members of your family might have done a couple things. They might have held a mirror to the mother's mouth to see if there was... Any kind of breath coming off, right? Yeah, any condensation. Uh, maybe a feather to see if it moves. And so, like, the idea, like, maybe she's breathing shallowly but still breathing. It's not to tickle her nose or something? <laughs> you wow, know what? sorry, I'm sorry. If somebody has tried. Okay. <laughs> the story of history is, is long and fraught with dark comedy. Sorry, Mom. I, I, you know, I'm really sad that you're gone in this scenario. I, honestly, I'm kind of messed up about it right now, but I'm trying really hard to stay positive. <laughs> right. You don't want to let go. Uh, so if this didn't cloud, if this didn't move, then mm-hmm. people would say, well, you must be dead. Now, this is before this is before the 18th century. In the 18th century, we knew enough about the human body that you met. If your family moves up a few centuries, you would say, let's check the pulse. Let's hear if that inner engine is still mm-hmm. pumping along. But that's way before the invention of the stethoscope. So you are not you're not getting a uh, an enhanced listen to that heart. You're just either putting your ear on it, feeling somebody's chest, feeling, you know, pressure points where you can feel the heartbeat. I don't know. That's, I don't want to like it. Well, now, if you were a particularly educated member of society, you might have tried out something called Balfour's test, uh, which, what is that? Oh, isn't this a thing where you stick needles through the skin into the heart? Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, With little flags? On top of the yeah. needles. 
and see if they move. Oh, that is so weird to to see if the pressure is changing, I Um, guess. I guess, yeah, to see if there's any slight palpitation. But, you know, as time went on, people eventually realized that although you could be uh, looking at a body without any sign of breathing, without any sign of heartbeat, there is still a chance that the person is alive somewhere in there, right? Yeah, and that's when you get stories circulating. Uh, You might remember the one about uh, by Edgar Allan Poe of a person that could be buried thinking, you know, oh, this person was dead, so we buried him. Oh, no, 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 no. They were alive. They were just not showing some of those main signs temporarily. Right. Yeah, this is okay. This is interesting. So let's take a sidebar here because this was one one of Edgar Allan Poe's personal fears was the idea of being buried alive. And furthermore, uh, when you hear about vampire panics or Mm -hmm. witch panics and people going to hunt down a body that must be possessed by the devil and is arising from the dead to drink the blood of the innocents. One of the things that they thought would be proof of this would be things like claw marks in the coffin, signs of disturbance moving around. The body didn't look as rotten or dead as it should be, but that might mean it's because it's not because they were a monster. It's because that they too were afflicted by whatever illness was passing around at the time, and then they woke up after they were buried and died of asphyxiation, trying to dig themselves out to the air. Yeah, that, that's definitely a fear that he had, and a fear that I have. Um, yeah, there was this whole industry around uh, these coffin bells, right? Do you remember you ever saw that? Yes, we're inside the coffin. It's connected to bells up uh, six feet above you. Mm-hmm. And if you pull on the little ribbon or the string, then, yeah. hey, I'm still here. We don't do that. Typically, uh, we don't do that anymore. I think we should still. I like the idea of the insurance factor there, but yeah. I, I don't ever want to be buried. Shoot me into space, man. Well, I, I'm going <laughs> to try for that. You've said that a lot. You really want to be shot into that space. Is one of, that is one of my goals. Save the earthly riches for someone else. Oh, man. Uh, but sorry, man. Just yeah. one thing I want to yeah. add to that. Uh, this idea of being buried alive, kind it really led towards that belief that perhaps death is somehow reversible. Not ah. just that you could escape it with immortality. Mm. Not just that there are certain figures who, um, based on religious beliefs, have been brought back from the dead. But that maybe you and I, maybe we don't have to die. Right, right. Maybe we can come close, but come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so today we know that there there actually are types of technology that can, well, essentially, Matt, that can reverse death. So if if a person, let's see, whose turn is it to die? All right, Noel, I'm sorry it's your turn. <laughs> so if Noel stops breathing, uh, doctors could hook Noel up to a ventilator to keep the respiratory and circulatory systems running. We've also got feeding tubes, CPR, all these devices that can keep a person alive if you measure life by pulse. Yes. Which means that's that's why you hear about people with no brain activity to speak of, right? Yes. Um, I, I don't want to talk about it very much, but I have a personal story about that situation that happened recently to a friend of mine who was on life support in that way, keeping the circulatory system alive, but they were monitoring brain activity. And it was the moment of brain death when it was chosen that this is no longer feasible to try and bring this person back. Right. And that that line between having someone laying there that 
is breathing, seems to be breathing, even though it is a machine that's keeping that mm-hmm. person alive. Mm-hmm. That's that line is very it can be traumatizing, I guess. But it's also it's also amazing that we can even do that. Yes. To it, one analogy that pops up, and this is by no means a perfect analogy, it makes me think of um, a brain dead body. It's sort of like a house where the plumbing works and the utilities are still connected, but there's no one living in that house. Whoa! I mean, it's and it's it's not always it's not always true. People have come back from things. Well, we'll see later on in this episode. So you're right, Matt. Doctors and family members around the world start to think that, well, maybe we shouldn't base this concept of living on a pulse alone because there are patients who have tragically never recovered consciousness after being hooked up to these machines, commonly called life support. So mm-hmm. doctors started using different terms to describe this other than just dead. Yeah, there's persistent vegetative state. There's also... Uh, someone who is in an irreversible coma. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1958, neurologists in France began describing this as a state beyond coma. Uh, these people were, their bodies were alive, but their brains were too damaged for one reason or another to function, to bring the consciousness back into the physical world. Ar- around the same time, also, uh, doctors were learning how to transplant organs into people near death to prolong their lives. Yeah, so you can you can get a kidney or a liver or, you know, any number of things back, but the brain even now the brain is a it's a tough thing to add mm. another one, take one out, bring one back. Mm. Right. And we uh we do know that that's one of the reasons some people are so very hesitant to uh to become organ donors because they think, you know, what if I'm in a situation like that? What if I'm one of those people who goes to the brink, who enters clinical death, but uh, wins the lottery and I'm able to be revived, but because I was an organ donor, there was... It now, never happened. <laughs> right. Now, we could do an entire episode on organ donation, uh, which is very different territory and more controversial than you might think. Oh yeah, because we could we could link it up with the organ trade, the black market organ mm-hmm. trade. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. Uh, or as one of my less diplomatic friends called at one time, the organ trail. Yep. <sighs> <laughs> yep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. That's what he called it. Wow. Not my idea. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, 
features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station with cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world to bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. So let's talk about what happens to your body physically during and after death. Because I, I love that you bring up that point um, where you say it's, well, it's difficult to discern what actual death is. What is the point mm-hmm. of no return? So if we take that one definition of death, the cessation of higher brain activity, all the, the consciousness, the personality, all the stuff that makes uh, us us, uh, then that part of your brain, when that shuts down or when that is damaged beyond repair, that's really all that matters. Mm-hmm. But if we take the definition of the whole brain activity, then it comes down to oxygen. Physical death on a cellular level begins when your body does not get the oxygen it needs to survive. And of course, you know, oxygen comes in through your lungs, primarily transports through your bloodstream, right? So yeah. that's the, the postal system for oxygen. Yes, the highways. Yes. With all the cars and their little oxygen passengers. Okay, so you ready to get into this? Yeah, let's uh, let's go for it, man. <clears throat> I'm not going to be any less ready. Okay, so here is the grisly breakdown of what happens when your body dies. So different cells in your body are going to break down at different speeds. So the the length of the dying process is going to depend on 
which cells in your body are deprived of oxygen the most or the fastest. Okay, so so that affects length. And then also people can take weeks to die or days to die. Yes, yeah. or it can come on very quickly. Sure. Now, let's talk about your brain. Uh, your brain needs a tremendous amount of oxygen to function properly. It it keeps very little in reserve. It's not, <laughs> there are no oxygen tanks up there. It just needs a constant flow of blood. And any cutoff of oxygen will result in cell death really fast, within three to seven minutes. Under Now, that's under normal circumstances. And it makes me think about someone, let's say MMA. I'm kind of a fan of MMA. Sure. Watch the UFC. Lots. And when you see someone get choked out, mm-hmm. you it's it's hard to really understand that if you deprive that person of oxygen for a little while longer, it could be really bad, mm-hmm. really, really bad, and it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's it's true. Uh, it depends upon, upon the length of the asphyxiation or the length of the oxygen deprivation, and it also depends, oddly enough, on the external and internal temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, we found when we were looking at people who came back from the dead, we found that inducing hypothermia may increase somebody's chances of survival. The heart is also important. When blood is cut off from the heart, a heart attack can take you down pretty quickly. That's why strokes can so often uh, hit and the, the time between a stroke and the time of death can be so closely together. When you die, we can break it into uh, two phases. Right before you die, there's what's called the agonal phase. The dying person's often disoriented, will seem like she or he can't get comfortable, uh, and it also may seem like this person can't catch a breath, which leads us to the next phase. Yeah, the death rattle. If you have ever heard this, you know exactly what it sounds like. If you have not, I hope you don't ever have to hear it. This is when lots of fluid builds up on the lungs and congestion causes this sound, and it's called the death rattle because, I don't know, maybe there's just not a better name for it. It's it's a horrible sound. And you've heard it. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have heard it. So as the cells in the person who's dying's body, as they lose their connections, right, this person, you may even see them convulse a bit, like they're having some kind of seizure or muscle spasm. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that you really don't want to see. Right. It does. It, it does occur, uh, which is part of the reason that I treat reports of famous last words with such skepticism. Uh, because as beautiful as, as it is to think that someone makes a flowery, grandiose speech or a, a witty one-liner and then just dies, uh, that's usually not how it happens. So let's talk about the body after death, after the heart stops beating, the body begins to turn cold. This is known as the death chill or algor mortis. So for each hour, the body temperature falls about 0.8 degrees, 0.83 degrees Celsius or one and a half degrees Fahrenheit until it reaches room temperature or if they're outside the temperature of the environment. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the blood starts to pool and settle. And this is where we encounter the stiffening of the body known as rigor mortis. Yeah. And that, what is that? Two or six? I know it's a while. It's like two, two to six hours, two to six hours. Yeah. And you know, 
if you're familiar with CSI or any of those shows, you're familiar with that. Um, it's a real thing. It's really weird. Now, while the, while the body as a whole may be dead, there are still some things inside the body or that are a part of the body that can still be alive. Skin cells, for example, can be harvested up to 24 hours after death. Mm-hmm. But there are some other things uh, that are still alive that lead to this putrefaction of the body as it begins to break down, uh, decom- as it decomposes. That's, that's things like bacteria. Uh, a lot of the your intestines, you know, are made up of so much bacteria, Ben. Right. It's primarily bacteria. I think we mentioned this in an earlier episode, right? I that, think it might have been the death and then a couple other ones, too. It's a fascinating uh, idea. Right, right, uh, that we are outnumbered in our own bodies by other living things. We're much more like our own city or if you, uh, maybe your own world, if you want, uh, that walks around and mistakes itself for an individual. And it's not just in your intestines. It's all over and inside you. Yes. So, <laughs> so for instance, uh, when, when you die, the bacteria inside you can survive. Uh, they start breaking down their host. Uh, here's a grisly fact for you. The pancreas is so full of so many different types of bacteria that it pretty much digests itself after someone passes away. It's like a fruit inside your body for the bacteria. Mm. And these organisms work their way to other organs. Your body becomes discolored, turning green, then purple, then finally black. And if you can't see this, you will smell it. <sighs> yeah, that's because the bacteria create this awful gas uh, it's really bad. And in addition to smelling up the room or wherever it is that you happen to die, the gas is going to cause your body to bloat. Mm-hmm. Your eyes will bulge out of their sockets. The tongue will swell and protrude. There are some other grisly facts here we could mention, but we'll continue to something a little different. Let's move to a week after death. A week after death, the skin has blistered, and touching it can cause it to fall off. A month after death, hair, nails, teeth generally fall out. The hair and nails, by the way, uh, Josh Clark just did an episode, I think, of... Don't Be Dumb? Don't Be Dumb, where he mentions this. And no, I think the whole episode is based on it. The hair and nails... Uh, are rumored to grow after death. Right. And you've seen that in movies all over the place, sure. in writing. Uh, that is actually not true. There's no magical growth properties to these cells. Uh, it, it merely looks like this because your skin is drying out after death. And, I mean, you know, as as your skin starts to dry and pulls away from your hair and from those cells, it looks as though it's growing. Or has grown, at least. The internal organs and tissue liquefy, and that in turn swells the body until it bursts out. And then eventually, eventually, depending upon the conditions of the environment in which this body is found, all that remains is a skeleton. And then if we move from months to years to centuries, only the bones. And then if we move past that, Unless you win the lottery of uh, fossilization, right? It's just nothing. And it depends again on the conditions, because there have been mm-hmm. there have been many ancient, uh, I guess, vestiges or remnants of humans found. But more often, when we say that, we're talking about 
you know, the very ancient, ancient Homo sapiens, we're, we're talking about discoveries of pieces of skeletons. Yeah, and, I mean? and it also depends on the temperature of what zone or where sure, you are. The humidity, mm-hmm. the aridness. Uh, but that's, so that's what happens to the body. And this brings us to the more enigmatic, I would say the, the more crucial question. That's the body. What happens to the mind? What happens to the consciousness? What happens to you? And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, right after a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, you've heard us talk about the great courses before, and you know that Ben and I like learning as much as we possibly can, and we like learning at our own pace. Right, and we're excited about something new from The Great Courses. Uh, you may have heard us talk about this before. Uh, they had a fantastic thing on the history of espionage. Yes. Right? Um, which I read cover to cover and listened to the audio on. It's, this new thing is called The Great Courses Plus Video Learning Service. It's unlimited access to thousands of fascinating subjects. Yeah, that's right. There are over 4,600 video lectures that you can get access to in subjects like history, science, Photography, that's one of my favorite ones. Mm -hmm. Even cooking. (laughs) That's right. These are taught by award-winning professors, experts from National Geographic, Smithsonian, uh, in the case of cooking, the Culinary Institute of America. And with The Great Courses Plus, you can watch as many different lectures as you want, anywhere, anytime. Right. Uh, here's another thing. So The Great Courses Plus is officially launching this fall. It's not out yet. But uh, because you listen to stuff they don't want you to know, you have an opportunity to be one of the few people to try it now for my favorite price, free. It's true. And that's only if you use the invitation code CONSPIRACY. Now, this code's only going to work for the first 100 people, so we urge you to use it as fast as possible. Right, yeah. I think we count in that 100, too, so go ahead and Sorry. think of it as 98. Uh, we know you're going to love The Great Courses Plus, so you can sign up now for your free beta access. So go to thegreatcoursesplus.com and enter the invitation code CONSPIRACY. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com, invitation code CONSPIRACY. And we are back. We have talked about the body. We have talked about the nature of death and how tricky it is to define it. And now let's make it even more complicated. Let's talk about the mind. Oh, yes. The mind, Ben. The mind. What is this thing? The mind? Right, right. Is it, uh, is it consciousness? Uh, we can barely define consciousness, much less quantify it. There have been all these reports of people dying, Matt, at least being clinically dead, only to return uh, minutes or hours later. And these are the things that we call near-death experiences, or NDEs. Uh, Kind of like, oh, do you remember that movie Flatliners? Oh, yes, I do. That used to scare the heck out of me, man. A bunch of, uh, they're in medical school and they're trying to, are they in middle school? I know they're just a bunch of doctors trying to figure out what the afterlife is. So they bring people to the brink, let them die, mm-hmm. and then try and bring them back, right? Yeah, they like freeze them, uh, induce, uh, induce some kind of clinical death, and mm-hmm. then they, they shock them back, right, with the paddles. <laughs> Terrifying. But uh, it turns out near-death experiences, uh, uh, whatever they are, 
Uh, spoiler alert, no one's quite sure yet, but they're real. Yeah, and, and they're a part of our lives now. That's something that I think a lot, I mean, hopefully most of you have heard of an NDE. I think you probably have. There, that means there are phrases like, my whole life flashed before my eyes, mm-hmm. or go into the light, or I went towards the light, but mm-hmm. I came back. Carol Ann. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it's a little different situation, but, you know. Right. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, that's that's a great thing, and uh, that's a great thing to point out because they are part of our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been decades of research in this. But Matt, what are these things? Are they hallucinations? Spiritual experiences? Are they proof of life after death? Or are they just chemical changes in the brain and sensory organs right before you die? Wow, way to be a buzzkill, Ben. I know. I'm sorry. So this guy, Dr. Raymond Moody, coined the term near-death experience in his 1975 book, Life After Life. And many credit Moody's work with bringing this this whole concept, this idea of a near-death experience to the public's attention. Right, but that's not the first time this has happened. It's just he is most likely the one who coined the phrase. Yes. Uh, but the it, phrase is important because it it creates the thing, right? It's no yeah. longer a concept, it's a thing. Right, it's no longer a bunch of isolated experiences. But reports to this, uh, this is something Josh points out in his article, reports of this date as far back as Plato's Republic. Whoa, that that's pretty old. Yeah, 360 BCE, there's the story of a soldier who was killed in battle, had a near-death experience, describes his soul leaving his body and being judged along with others in heaven. Whoa. And then he just came back, I guess? like Presumably. Ooh. Did he get kicked out? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and read Plato's Republic. Well, some it's interesting you say that because sometimes people say that they have this conversation where they are told that they need to come back to do something. It's not your time. It's not your time. In fact, uh, most near-death experiences share a uh, share a surprising number of common traits, but not all of them are created equal, you know, and some don't follow a pattern at all. There have been people who died and say, it was just dark. I felt a jump and I woke up here. Yep. You know, in Grady Memorial or whatever. But there, but I would say, I mean, a lot of them do share some common things, right? Sure. Let's talk about a few. Well, one of them is the light that we mentioned going mm-hmm. towards the light. Uh, sometimes it's this very intense, uh, not painful, sometimes painful, but not always painful that will fill up the room. And, uh, and oh, in some cases, subjects see a light that they feel represents either their idea of heaven or mm-hmm. what they believe to be heaven. Yeah. Or maybe even God. And that's, that's interesting because you, you kind of have to wonder if there's a Rorschach aspect to this. You know, like a Rorschach ink blot wherein people are seeing a little bit more about their themselves than they are seeing what's on the page. Oh yeah. And if you're seeing that light, I'm, I'm just assuming that what I would associate it with would be probably the sun or warmth, you know, and something that is calming and Inviting almost? I would, I would probably, I, I've never, to my knowledge, had a near death experience, uh, but I would imagine if, if it ha- happened to me, uh, and I had already had a day that crazy. Yeah. It would be anything goes. I wouldn't, 
I, I would be completely fine with the idea of being otherworldly, of some otherworldly encounter. Uh, another thing that people report, and this is fascinating, is the out-of-body experience, or OBE. This is when someone dies, they feel that they have left their body. You will hear stories about looking down and seeing the surgeons completing the operation. You'll hear anecdotes of people watching their own bodies get shocked and then mm-hmm. feeling pulled back in. Uh, and sometimes they feel that their spirit, their incorporeal consciousness is lifted out of the room, into the sky, maybe even into space toward that intense light. Now, I just want to point out that an OBE may sound exciting. Um, it is good to know that you don't have to have a near-death experience to experience an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. Uh, we don't recommend most of them, uh, <laughs> at least on air. Oh, okay. I see where you're going. Uh, and let's also, let's also give a note to, uh, the government sponsored experiences or experiments rather with, uh, outer body stuff. Uh, tremendously controversial. Check out Project Stargate and Ingo yes. Swan, S-W-A-N-N. I just want to say you almost said government sponsored experience and that phrase. Oh man, I'm so many things are being conjured with that phrase. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Not all of them pleasant. <laughs> no. Uh, so you could also, you could also, if you have an indie, um, enter into another realm. Mm. And this is strange because I, I was reading about this even as a kid. You know, people would say they may, most people who say they go to some other place, go to a place where they feel like a safe, warm, glowing light bathing them. Mm-hmm. They, essentially heaven. Some, yeah. some version of an afterlife paradise, but a minority of people have described their passage. They say they do go somewhere, but they go somewhere terrible, horrible, beyond human comprehension. They go to whatever is on the other side of uh, that drop in uh, event horizon. They go to hell, something very much like it. That's their report. It, it makes me think about whether or not what type of pain receptors are involved with that you know if you're if you're still able to feel whatever has caused you to enter this state mm-hmm. uh, if you can feel it intensely then i can imagine that you probably end up in hell that's interesting yeah and then again it's how much of this is based on someone's perception uh because we will say that there is at this point no universally scientifically accepted proof that these people are actually going somewhere. Uh, but so what we're telling you are the reports of people who have survived. Uh, and they also sometimes don't go there alone. No, sometimes when you have an out-of-body experience, there are other things, other beings with you. Uh, these sometimes have been called beings of light. Uh, sometimes there are representations of spiritual entities like an angel or, again, in rare cases, a demon. Um but a lot of people will think that they're seeing dead loved ones, people who have already made it to wherever it is that they believe they are. And there are also reports of, of course, we've mentioned the tunnel, that people feel they're in a tunnel with that intense light at the end. Uh, they also have reported communication. This is something that happens often where the subjects or the people who have returned from this near-death experience uh, say that they heard a voice telling them it's not their time to go back. Uh, some also say that they were given a choice to go into the light, 
wherever it may lead, or return to their earthly body. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station with cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world. To bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health, but by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. And then the the last one that we're we're going to talk about here is the idea that you see your entire life, right? You get a replay or at least major points in your life where you're maybe it's just your brain firing off mm-hmm. all these different memories really rapidly. Um, some people call this the panoramic view of life. Uh, others will see a fast forward film of the entire thing. Um, you know, this can be – there are a lot of different ways that this has manifested. Some people say that it happened extremely fast. Some people say it happened really slowly and they were there for almost another lifetime. And they might feel that they're being judged during this time. Yes. So I, I think it's interesting that you point out 
the difference here, Matt, between an out-of-body experience and a near-death experience? Because some people, uh, some people claim to experience these out-of-body circumstances uh, when there's no death or dying or even physical threat. Do you have time for like a quick anecdote? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go too much into personal history, but you know this because you and I have talked about it off air. Uh, members of my family, on one side of my family, where I'm from, historically have, and this is not Nashville, ladies and gentlemen, it's a much more rural area, uh, but members of my family have claimed uh, for decades in the past to have things where they'll have dreams that later come to pass or they'll say that they have had out-of-body experiences or can induce them. And, you know, these are members of my family, so I'm not trying to violate their privacy or anything. But listeners, I believe it is quite possible that you know someone who feels that they have experienced this or that you yourself may have experienced something like this inexplicable thing, right? And that gets us to some interesting statistics. How many people have had something like a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience? Well, according to a 1982 poll by Gallup and William Proctor, they found that 15% of all Americans who had been in a near-death situation where they almost died or died and then came back had experienced an NDE. So not that many people. As a matter of fact, a, mi a minority. Definitely a minority, but 15%, I don't know. Yeah, well, of that 15%, 9% can, uh, said their experience had this out-of-body thing going mm -hmm. on. And 11%, again, of that 15%, uh, said they entered another realm or dimension. And 8% said they met spiritual beings. Now, in comparison to all of the people who had been in these near-death situations, it's a very small number, and it's getting smaller. Uh, but good news on this, of yes. the people polled of that 15%, only 1% reported a negative experience. But we got to remember, mm -hmm. these reports are, you know, 1982, that's, that's upwards of 20 years ago, and there are other researchers who... They, you know, when they, when they are studying this kind of thing, they're usually looking at a much smaller scale. Mm -hmm. Um, and also the, the statistics on NDEs are going to vary pretty widely. Right. So much of polling and polling isn't art. So much of polling depends on how the question is framed. It's and where, where you're sampling. Where you're sampling, right? who you're asking, even the time of day yeah. or the environment they're in. Uh, for instance, those people who are being polled in a busy day at the mall are a lot less likely to think in depth about their answer. Uh, the But the point being that these statistics still are not conclusive. One thing that is very interesting that the Gallup poll found there was that religious beliefs – or lack of religious beliefs don't appear to affect the likelihood of having a near-death experience. So somebody who is very much um, considers themselves very religious to whatever particular religion mm -hmm. it might be, and someone who considers themselves completely an atheist may all have a similar experience. It doesn't necessarily impact their thing. It's not just um, one particular denomination, 
of Christians or one particular uh, Eastern religion having these experiences. It's across the board and people aren't sure exactly what the de- common denominator is yeah. other than almost other than dying, other than dying. Yeah. Other than dying. Wow. Uh, it's it's one of those things, man. Man, this whole topic. You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but my existential dread of death brought right. on to me by my grandfather. It's not his fault. He just, just was a, a great thinker, and uh, he thought about it way too much. And I don't know, somehow or another, he's got me to think about it way too much. And this kind of stuff, thinking that all humans, all life maybe, experiences this kind of thing when it dies. That's, I that's don't know. A good point. I wonder, do you think that do you think that higher order animals, do you think that mammals experience something? I mean, we know so little about animal intelligence other than we, the fact that we've woefully underestimated it for most of human history. I guess it just depends on what is scientifically happening to trigger whatever's occurring and what exactly is experiencing this. Now, I'm excited about this idea, Matt, because what is the near-death experience of an African elephant or a chimpanzee or a cetacean like a dolphin. You know, what do they, do they swim toward a light, for instance? Do they hear yeah, the calls know. of loved ones? What that's, about even cattle? That's a messed up thing to think about. Yeah, that's a, that is true because cattle do have intelligence. <laughs> well, either way, whatever we find should be applied to any animal with the with the I guess the brain structure a similar mm-hmm. brain structure yes yes uh, because at this point scientists cannot ultimately explain why some people have near death experiences and why some people don't and that's partially because these things are complex they're emotionally charged and there's a lot of it we can't really test like there's there's not an effective double blind peer reviewed methodology for whether someone actually met God. Yeah, these are all subjective reports of people who experienced something on their own. Yet we can attempt a little bit of a, let's call it, scientific speculation. How about that? Okay. All right. So our brains process sensory information. We know that much. We know that what you and Noel and I and everybody else listening to this encounters as reality is just the sum of sensory information we receive filtered by our brains. And really, it's only the stuff our brains say, hey. That's at, what that is. Look at that. Yeah. Hey, look, what's that smell? What's that smell? <laughs> is, is that a horse? Is that what our brains sound like? <laughs> yeah. Our brain, and then sometimes our brains will get something and not send it to our conscious mind like, hey, forget about it. Yeah, forget about it. Yeah, I'm just going to pretend that's not there. Nah, nah. Hey, you should get a sandwich. Me and stomach were talking. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's a sequel to Inside Out going on in here. Yes, it is. But, okay, so the, so we have these, these huge nets cast, right, mm-hmm. through all of our different sensory organs. And then we also have a very complex system of nerves and muscles that do something most of us take for granted. Uh, if you're not driving, listeners, if you're in a place where it's safe for you to do this, I'd like you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Are they closed? And and listen to this. Uh, so take your right or left hand, your choice, and hold it out in front of you. Now move it to wherever you want to move it. 
Now slowly make uh, take your index finger and touch it to your nose. Not that hard, huh? Isn't that weird? We know where our we know where our body is in space without observing it through other things. Our brain knows what our hand is doing when it's not looking at it. It's a superpower we take for granted. That's how we know where we are in space. That really is something I take for granted. That's <laughs> something everybody takes for granted because we're used to it. Can I, can I tell you something yeah. that I do? Yeah. So one of my favorite things is to get on my drum kit when all of the lights are out and there's not a single source anywhere and it's in the pitch black and test to see if I can uh, play a song all the way through in the complete darkness just so by cool. understanding where the things are in muscle memory. Uh-huh. That is one of my hands-down favorite things to do. So I just want to say thank you, human bodies, for being able to do that. Can you do that? Can you play the songs in the dark? Oh, yeah. Dude, that's um a- that is so interesting. That's amazing. I would love to, I would love to see slash hear that. I guess hear it. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't see it unless you had night vision. We'll work on it. So, but that's, a, that's another <laughs> sense, right? So imagine that as you're dying, all of your senses are malfunctioning, right? Uh, you know, people will say that hallucinogen, hallucinogens can, uh, induce some similar experiences to a near death experience. So, Instead of the real stuff that's happening, what you're hearing, what you're feeling, what you're seeing is faulty information, maybe because of drugs, maybe because there's some sort of traumatic experience causing your brain to shut down. So what you're actually getting from that great filter is your brain trying to interpret and curate all this information. So some some scientists have said that this neural noise, for lack of a better term, an overload of information creates that image of a bright light that grows larger. And that because your, your spatial sense, right, is mm-hmm. malfunctioning, that your brain might interpret this as you moving. Yeah. Because it's, it's losing control. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, wow, that is, that's fascinating to think about. It's, you know, it's a, it's not a conclusive proof, but it's a, no. it's a pretty good argument. Yeah, it's a good argument, and I can visualize it mm-hmm. uh, really well. We also know that there's this peaceful, calm sensation people report during a near-death experience. And that could be a, a coping mechanism with what's going on. It could be endorphins that mm-hmm. are produced during the brain when there's some kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will experience this this sense of strange detachment and almost this uh, emotionless response when you're going through some kind of traumatic event like this, whether or not it's related to a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And this is pretty much, this is the same effect that's going on in your body. Your your brain is trying to cope really hard with what's going on. And it's almost like it doesn't, So you can't say that your brain doesn't understand, but it is getting um, signal noise or, you know, their wires are being crossed. Sure. So, okay. well, then how would we how would we explain in this perspective? How would we explain those visits to heaven or meeting with uh, God? Well, that's that could be a lot of things that are kind of working together. You're, we're talking about that faulty sensory input, your oxygen deprivation, your your brain and your body aren't getting that life, the blood and the uh, the chemical that makes us function. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the endorphins and the chemical concoction that's being released, uh, and it you know it might create this surreal euphoria that's happening. This 
it feels realistic to you, maybe, but it's just happening in your mind. And then later, we know how tricky memory is. When the subject or the survivor recalls this encounter, it goes through the filter of that person's conscious mind. So these bizarre things that didn't make sense are retroactively or kind of retconned. Yeah. In, in this argument yeah. again. Yeah. Into something understandable. You put your filter on that mm. has all of your, your past experiences, your beliefs, mm. all the structures that make up who you are. Throw that filter on that thing that you went through. And there you go. And while we're talking about filters, this is something that interests me too. Uh, it, it's strange how if you look at the common stories of alien abductions in the modern yes. age and the common stories of uh, fairy abductions uh, kind of things, it's strange how the tropes match one-on-one and uh, so closely. Anyhow, episode for another day. We, <laughs> we've mentioned like four episodes for another day, but the next question is how do we explain those out-of-body experiences uh, that occur using things like memory? Somebody is dead. There's no brain activity. There's no blood flow. How do they come back and remember something? Again, anecdotal, spoiler alert, Project Stargate was closed because they figured that it was all a bunch of malarkey. But if if it is true, if somehow people do have this ability to perceive these things while they're not while they're not in their body, while their body is dead, while the part of the brain that makes memory is closed for business. And then they come back and say, I remember this person saying this in right. the room with me. That's like driving a car down a road that doesn't exist and still getting to your destination. The, this thing, uh, th- this thing could happen just with retroactively explaining stuff. There's also a pretty compelling argument, not, com- not conclusive, but compelling argument that maybe people are still receiving sensory information in a way that scientists have yet to pin down or to track. I can imagine some quantum stuff going on there that we just have yet to study. Yes, and that is where we get to the big end of this episode. Uh, What is consciousness is the question we still haven't answered, right? Yeah, well, we haven't on this show answered what is consciousness yet. I I don't uh, don't think anybody out there has yet. Well, people have answered it to their satisfaction. Sure. Which maybe that's where it belongs. I mean, is consciousness a thing hardwired into the surface of the matter making up your brain, like a tattoo along your neural net, your synapses? Or is the substance of the brain just like a radio receiver? Is it the end point for something like a radio wave? Is that what you are? Is that what the consciousness is? And if that is the case, where is the transmission coming from? I'm pretty sure it's Georgia State Radio. Georgia State Radio, 88.5. No, I mean, yeah, I got maybe. I got on a little bit of a soapbox. I'm sorry, but no, I loved it. I was just sitting here listening. I love it. Uh, We don't have the answer though, and if 88.5 is the the point, which is a pretty good radio (laughs) station, and I I really enjoy it, then uh, then then I'm happy with that. But uh, listeners, we would like to hear from you whether you have had. Uh, a near-death experience, an out-of-body experience, whether you think the current scientific theories of this uh, hold any water. Do, do they have sand? Uh, if so, why? If not, why not? And we're about... Oh! Is that... No? I'm not going to say anything this time. I'm just going to let you hear the sound of the mic clicking on and sit here in <laughs> silence. <laughs> okay, well... Hi, no. Hi. 
Oh, you are here. I'm here. I'm oh, okay. I was, I was just kidding. Oh, good. All right. So, uh, no. What do you What do you think? Do you have you ever had? And I know this is a very personal question. Have you ever had a out of body experience or anything like that? No. I mean, the closest thing I've had are like brushes with um, things that one could interpret as being a sign of of the afterlife or you know what happens next but i've usually been able to justify them in some way or another but i can't help but like remember the feeling of feeling like that was a thing even though i was able to later kind of say oh no this is actually what happened um so i'm sort of on the fence about a lot of that stuff i I wouldn't say i don't believe that that stuff is possible but i definitely don't know enough to know (laughs) Yeah. yeah would you mind Sharing a little bit. Oh yeah, there's a there's a couple. There's one in particular where I've, I've, a girl I used to date in college, um, a good friend of ours, uh, passed away in a car accident, and she would just kind of come and meet me in between classes, and we would hang out in her car for a while, or just kind of in the area. But there was one time where it was cold, so we were definitely sitting in her car, and um, she was sitting in there waiting for me, and I got there, and she looked really upset and freaked out. And I was like, what's wrong? And she kind of looked at the windshield on the inside of the windshield and she sort of blew on it. And the girl who had died, her signature was there on the inside of the windshield. And it was like this intense moment of like, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing this thing. This is real. Like all of this stuff is really happening. And then, you know, you give it a little more thought and you realize, you know, she hadn't died that long ago and they rode together a lot. And, um, you know, they were like in their late teens, early twenties, just the kind of thing a girl would do is like write her name on condensation on the inside of a wind on the, on the inside of a window. And, um, you know, there's residue on your fingers that can kind of stick around. And so that's how I explained that, but it doesn't really change the fact that at the time I felt this like intense connection to something, which yeah. is, you know, it's weird. It's kind of sad to explain it away in a way, but I don't know. That's what that was. Well, it, it, in in a way, mm-hmm. explaining it in that manner is a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Not only, it, it, even though it's kind of a hard thing to do sometimes, it also, I don't know, it's one of those things where you, when you can bring that light out in the darkness and say, well, maybe this is what it is. I don't know. It actually makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, it was an interesting experience. I've had other moments like that, but uh, nothing that's pushed me over the edge. But again, I don't discount anything. I like to think that there's certainly things beyond my understanding that I will probably never understand, so I choose not to be a jerk and say, it's all bogus. You know? Oh, yeah, I think absolutism is probably a uh, a foolish move, especially mm-hmm. when we consider when we consider how much of human history has been a uh, it's like you remember that old story we may have mentioned it on the air about the elephant and the mice and there's yes yeah I, I, there's there are larger things and, and human understanding is so cartoonishly limited mm-hmm. at this point that it, it seems almost arrogant to dis to completely discount anything uh I, I don't I don't feel like it's necessarily sad if there is a scientific explanation because that shows that there is some sort of progress. But there's so much stuff that we as a species are still grossly incapable of measuring, mm-hmm. let alone understanding. Right. Like we, we get to the brain and um, and, you know, it, it's true that there's a lot of pseudoscience and it's true that there are a lot of charlatans and swindlers and things like that. Uh, but it's also true that there are brilliant people working every day to add just a little more light to this 
cavernous universe. And uh, I just want to I want to be along for the ride, man. I want to see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. I mean, it's interesting times for sure. Seems like every day there's something new that that either completely uh, contradicts or you know starts a whole new idea. Here's thinking about things. Here's a question, Noel and Matt. What do you guys think? Do you think maybe this this is a question that presupposes a lot of stuff, listeners? So I understand if it's a loaded question. Are we maybe not supposed to know what happens after we die, or is there really just no answer? Is it really just that's it? Is it like remember that video game Captain Planet where you had to play the whole thing through and you only got one life? No, what? Yeah, it was a really difficult video game. Never heard of this. It I don't know how turned me I off the video games. Yeah, how have I not played that? Uh, well, let oh. me save you some time, Matt. Oh, <laughs> oh no, because I'm gonna sit down and then not get up until I beat it. But shoot, like if there is something. Then why why is there no proof? Why do people have no clue? Me included. It's because the experience of what being alive is outside of being alive as a human. So like you have to separate the two. So being alive as a human is a thing that happens. Right? You become alive all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Then you become not alive at some point further down the line, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what I'm proposing, gentlemen, is that that whole experience, that is all an arcade game uh, set in the Rick and Morty universe. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. You just start doing it, and then you end up, you're back, and it's like, wobble, wobble, dub, dub, and you're like, oh, man, that's what that whole thing was. So if you were ever in a traumatic accident <laughs> mm-hmm. and you hear in the distance wobble laba dob dob Yeah. It's like, oh okay. I'm all right. It's just Rick. Yeah, no, I mean backing it up to something slightly serious, I guess. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. This is great. This is great. Um it's like you said, though, we're sort of blinked into existence, you know, based on whatever circumstances, but then somewhere along the line we develop this entitlement where we're like, We deserve to know. <laughs> Yeah. Ooh. I mean, Ooh, you got me. That's, uh, good. I mean, That's true. Shots fired, but well done. <laughs> that is all. Well, what do you think, listeners? Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this. Uh, again, death is a serious and universal thing. So uh, while we might be joking around uh, a little bit, it is, uh, I think, as we said earlier, a little bit of whistling through the graveyard maybe. Uh, but we hope you found this uh, interesting. We hope you found it um, worth worthwhile, and more importantly, we'd like to hear from you. Yeah, we we want to do a bit of a poll of our own. Uh, have you experienced any kind of near death experience? In if not that, maybe an out of body experience. Uh, do you have a relative that has a great story? We just want to know. We want to we want to know if you even believe in this stuff or what you believe happens when we die. We want to know all of that stuff because we just Ben and I are curious. And uh, again, you guys always send us the best ideas. So the next time we update this, we'll be like, oh, look at all, all these people said. They knew way more than us, Ben. Right. Yes, it's true. And if it is a personal story that you do not want to have on the air, yes. uh, then please let us know that as well. Uh, we'll write to everybody who writes in and, and just check and make sure that's cool before we bring anything to the public. Uh, but 
we are going to head out. Oh, and Matt, people want probably want to know uh, the best way to contact us, right? Yes, that is important information, and here it is. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. We are Conspiracy Stuff or at Conspiracy Stuff on both of those. You can find us on and that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Thank you. 